0: Good morning, then. Good morning, good morning. Um, I love the emphasis this morning about God wanting to speak to us. It's often in a place of worship as we give out, as we speak out our praises to God and declare out the great truths of what he's like. And as we sing out of our love and what he's done for us, it's actually out of that very often that we find that the tables are turned around and God wants to speak to us. And many of us were away at camp over the last few days in a mighty throng of people hearing great men and women of God speaking to us. But you know what? God wants to speak to us day by day if we have our hearts open. We're going to do things slightly differently this morning because as I speak, there are going to be various points along the way where we're just going to take a little bit of time out to reflect and to respond to God. As we go along, so please don't be too British, don't be too reticent, um, and take that opportunity. As we've heard the prophetic word this morning about God wanting to speak to us, let's take those little opportunities as we go along to let God do so. The passage this morning is uh, from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter five and verses one to eleven, and. I could have called this rejoice 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 which is actually the title of a song because that word comes three times in this passage but more than that the phrase more than that comes four times in this passage so I've said this is about the gospel there is more much more the good news of Jesus Christ you see is good news it's really really good news it's good Turn to somebody next to you and say, the good news is good. Good (laughs) If you're not sure yet, out of integrity, that's fine. But I hope you will be by the end. But it's really good. And in this passage, Paul sums up much of what the good news is about. But there's more to it. There's much more. It's bigger than we often think. It's bigger in scope. It's more powerfully effective. It's more relevant to us. There's just more. And this chapter in Romans marks a transition in the book, in the first few chapters, which are essentially dealing with the mess that humanity's in. And it swings round at this point and says, now live this life. Here's how to live. Let's read then Romans 5, chapter from verse 1. I'm reading it from the uh, English Standard version. Therefore, says Paul, since we've been justified by faith... Incidentally, the Bible idea of faith isn't just about believing stuff, even though we don't see it. When the Bible talks about faith, it's conviction based on some evidence that always has outworking in our actions... In our attitudes, it's rooted, it's grounded, it's active, trusting belief. It's not just a bit of a strange idea going on here. It takes over our being when it talks about faith. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of that. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Hello? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Um, it's a bit trite, but whenever there's a therefore, it's good to ask the question, what's it there for? <laughs> therefore takes an argument further, and we can't go back over due to time all that's been said in the four, first four chapters of Romans but it's really important and one of the problems with just taking a passage of scripture is we sometimes miss out on the whole and seeing that there's a building of argument of premise upon premise of conclusion upon conclusion and just landing into the middle of a chapter landing into a chapter in the middle of a book like this we can sometimes miss that but helpfully Paul goes on in the next few verses to pretty much summarize what he said in the previous four chapters of Romans. So we'll carry on reading the next few verses, and actually we're going to talk briefly about those first, because that is what the therefore has come from. For while we were still weak, at the right time, this is verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might might dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we are now being justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's more, there's more, there's more. Therefore, Paul says, verse 1, since we've been justified... So my clicker working. Justified is, is kind of a legal term. Justified by our faith in this legal process. Romans chapter 1 to 4, I haven't got time to read it now, is like a courtroom drama in one sense. In the court of heaven, the law court of heaven, with God as judge, um, and any and all of us as the accused, you see, in summary, the gospel's this. Everyone's guilty of falling short. And some of you know that picture of an arrow not quite hitting the target. Um, I suppose the target is that flag there. doesn't really matter whether it falls short by an inch or five meters. Confusing my metric with imperial there. Um, <laughs> It's still missed. It's fallen short. The truth is, most of us know that we don't live up to our own standards and ideals, let alone God's, if the truth be known. But everyone's guilty of falling short of a holy God's standards. And Paul says, we're all under judgment, deserving God's death. But Christ died in the place of sinners. Verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, Christ died for us. God presented Christ as a sacrifice. Through his death, our judgment was put on him instead so that we don't have to be under it. Now, Paul says, you can just about imagine someone dying for someone else who deserves it. Dying for a righteous person. And those of you who have seen Saving Private Ryan, there's a very moving bit at the end. Um, Those of you who don't know the story, there's a a US Army battalion in the Normandy landings, and they're searching for a particular individual, Ryan, who's the last surviving brother. His older three brothers have already been killed in action. And for the sake of their mother, the the, the order is issued to go and retrieve him, Bring him back home, so his mother isn 't consumed by grief. He does get found, but all of his rescuers pretty much get killed in the process and At the end of the film, it flashes forward to the present day where Ryan, now an old man, is at the cemetery, the Nordendy American Cemetery, standing at the grave of the captain. Of his rescuers. And he turns to his wife and says, heart-wrenchingly, have I led a good life? Was I a good man? Somehow sort of wondering, was he worthy of the sacrifice? See, Paul says, you can just about imagine with difficulty someone dying for someone good. But how vastly more amazing, says Paul, is Christ dying in the place of us who are helpless, godless, and stuck in sin. How vastly more the contrast. That's what Paul's saying. It's not like saving Private Ryan. Jesus' sacrifice is for those stuck in a mess. So we're justified, declared not guilty. But there's more to it than that. It's like this. So suppose I had a really annoying neighbor. Suppose Mike Beaumont was my neighbor. Okay? <laughs> he lives next door to me, and he has many annoying habits and ways that really wind me up and get me quite angry. He plays loud music at all times of the day and night, and I get more and more annoyed. But suppose he has a really annoying habit in that he... He's really keen on golf. Now, I know this isn't true, but he's really keen on golf, and he spends most of his spare time whacking golf balls and practicing his drive in the back garden. And not a few balls come over the fence into my garden, and I'm getting more and more fed up with throwing them back again. I suppose one day he whacks a particularly good shot that hits the fence, rebounds upwards, and smashes through my patio window. I now have a definite grievance with Mike, my neighbor. And so I go round and demand from him, rightly, The cost of the patio window, £2,000. And he says, push off. But I could go to law, of course. But Mike hasn't got the money. Because he spent it all on golf balls. Whatever else he does with his disposable income. And in the midst of the argument, suppose my son, who's wealthy, comes bounding up and says... It's all right, Dad. I'll pay for the window. The debt's been paid. Mike goes free. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. But if that happened in real life, none of that would dictate what I should do next time. Mike messes up. That doesn't determine at all my attitude to him. Or whether I even like him. You see, not only are we justified, put right, the debt's been paid, we are saved. And the implication of the passage here is, that is about a future event. At the end of all things, the destination Is certain. And of course, as usual, the go to person, if you want to put a a truth into words and song, is Bob Dylan. So if we could just play a little bit from this song. (laughs) You are allowed to move. And he goes on to say, by his truth I can be upright, by his strength I do endure, by his power I've been lifted, in his love I am secure. He bought me with a price, freed me from the pit full of emptiness and wrath. Nobody to rescue me, nobody would dare. I was going down for the last time, but by his mercy I've been spared. Not by works, but by faith in him who called. I've been saved. By the blood of the Lamb. By his grace I've been touched. By his word I've been healed. By his hand I've been delivered. And by his spirit I've been sealed. The more isn't just that we're put right with God. is that that lasts and we will be saved. But more than that even. And there's more. As we're invited to be friends with him. This is the gospel. Paul goes on to say, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, being put right with God isn't just a legal thing. It's a relationship thing. Being put right with God isn't just the debt being being paid; it's about being friends with God. So that's the therefore. We're now going to go on and talk about the benefits of all of that. But let's just take a minute first and reflect. This is the gospel that we're forgiven that our future is secured but that here and now we can be friends with God friends with God what's a Christian? someone who believes that Jesus Christ God's son in his death has made this possible then receives it. So, the appropriate response, Paul says, is to rejoice. Three times. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 11, through whom we've now received reconciliation. And of course, when we think rejoice, we tend to think sing. But the word can mean a number of different things. One translation is the word boast. It means to make known and make a loud noise about. Now, I don't know about you, but in our world, in our society, boasting is not usually viewed as a particularly good thing. I don't know, but how do people get a bit annoyed if there's someone who's boasting? Oh, No one? All right, now. Um but You see, uh, last season, uh, my son, who plays for Ensham, under-11s, Um, towards the end of the season there was a dads versus lads football match. And it's one of those things where you just keep going. But it got to about eight goals all and we were running out of time so they said next goal win. I'd played really, really, really badly mainly due to the fact that it was wet and I had no football boots so I was playing in my shoes and I just fell over most of the time. So after 90 minutes it was eight all, eight or nine all. uh, And right in the last minute One of the dads went down the line and put in the most sumptuous cross. The ball went across the goal. And I was there in the middle, and I dived forwards like a swallow, got the ball on my forehead, it rocketed into the top corner of the goal, and we won. But not only that, my family had to suffer the reenactment of this great event for several days afterwards. And I think they got a bit tired of my boasting. If I'm going to boast... Boasting in Christ we are allowed to boast about what Christ has done so here's what I want you to do i are going to stop for a second the appropriate response is to boast to broadcast out so I want you to stand up or turn around or walk around and I want you to declare out and say how good God has been if that's true, in forgiving you, in securing your future, and that you can be friends with him through Christ. Turn to someone and say that. Broadcast it. Boast it. Because I don't want you to boast in yourself. No one likes that. But we are allowed to boast in what Christ has done. And if that's not where you're at, that's fine. But we're just going to take a minute to put on our lips, boasting about what Christ has done for us. let's do that just for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're forgiven. Even the worst things that we could do, we're forgiven. Your click isn't working. Ah, no, because no, it's, it's not not on. on. Peace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're forgiven. Even the worst that we can do, you've paid for. Thank you, Lord. The very worst that we've done, you've forgiven in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you took on my sin so that I could take on your righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you this morning, that hasn't been your experience and you want to become a Christian, it's very simple. Believe in Jesus Christ. Put your active, trusting belief not only in Him but what he has done in dying for us God's son that we might be free that we could become friends of God if you want to talk to one of us about that afterwards we could pray with you that would be great but there's more therefore says Paul on the basis of all that here we go There are five things here, five benefits, five good news pieces for us to take on board. Number one, we have peace with God in verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Amen. Peace, however, is more than a feeling. It's a condition of the heart. Here, the idea Paul's talking about is is to do with this Hebrew idea of shalom. One way of looking at it is everything's put back together again. Everything's in its right place. That's what peace means. Everything's been put back together again. In its right place. Jointed together. Joined together. Something a bit better than (laughs) super Another way of looking at it is the enemies have been subdued. Everything that's troublesome has been put in. The right place, again. That idea of shalom in the Old Testament doesn't mean a feeling of peace. It means everything is in right order, in the right place. That that wasn't put together has been put back together again. Strife has been put down and there's a sense of well-being. That's what peace with God means. A sense of well-being with God. And, of course, it points to this idea of reconciliation. The strife and the trouble between us and God because of our mess, it's been put right, and we have a well-being before God. Okay, so stop-and-think moment. The caption, if you can't read it, says, it sort of makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Um, We're just going to stop and think. Okay, maybe shut your eyes. Right now, I'm going to ask you, take a minute. Do you sense in your heart whether you are at peace with God? That is everything in order between you and him? Is there a sense of well-being between you and God? If the answer to that is yes, well, let's thank Jesus, the Prince of Peace. If not... There's an opportunity to put some things right with God. If there's any sin, confess it. Or maybe we just need to receive the peace of God. My peace, Jesus said, i leave with you. It doesn't go away. But we do have to receive it. Maybe you ask God to show you if there's anything it gets in the way, is getting in the way, has got in the way of you receiving his peace. Let's just take a moment to start and think. Thank you, Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, that we have peace with God the Father because of you. Amen. Benefit number one, we have peace with God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Number two, we have access into his grace. Verse two says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access here has two sort of connotations. One is um, as one would approach royalty. I have a picture at home um, taken many years ago. Um, I should have scanned it, but it's, it was before the days of digital technology. Of this man and myself in the same picture. In fact, we're shaking hands. Um, I won't tell you which one looks better now and who's aged better. But anyway, there you go. The thing is with royalty, you don't just walk up to them. Or if you do, you're in trouble. There's someone else in the picture who introduced us. And the other aspect of this picture is not just approaching royalty, but access is because Jesus has introduced us. To the Father. And the language here also implies an ongoing present reality. It's not a quick handshake like I had with Prince Charles and away. The access that Christ has obtained for us into God's presence, into the grace of God, is ongoing. It's a bit like a personal introduction to royalty. Jesus does the introducing, allowing us to stand, which of course implies not ashamed, not ashamed. I didn't bow the knee actually. Um, you don't do that with male royals who aren't yet on the throne. Um, or at least I didn't. I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but I didn't. And there is a time to bow the knee before the living god but without getting presumptuous there's also a time for us to stand in his presence because we stand in Christ and we stand into this grace grace is god's favor on us everybody here this week david smith talking about god's favor Being poured out on us. God's favour. Of course we understand God's favour isn't deserved. We don't earn it. We don't work it up. It's not payback time for the good things we've done. God's favour is God's favour. It's God's favour. Second benefit. Jesus Christ has obtained for us our access to stand in God's presence. Able to receive his favor. Paul elsewhere in Ephesians says this in him, that is Christ, and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Oh, time to think. Just for a minute, we're going to stand. Because it talks about a standing in the grace of God. And I just want us to stand. You can stand and walk or stand still. You can shut your eyes. You can open your eyes. You can open your arms. I don't mind, but I just want to take a second, standing in God's presence, unashamed, and maybe also open to receiving his favor and blessing on us. Because he loves to do that. Let's take a second for you to do that. Let's just stand up, mindful that we stand in God's presence, unashamed because of jesus but because he's a gracious god he loves to pour out his favor and his blessing on us and maybe god while you're standing here might just put in your mind some blessing he's going to do for you some favor that he'll have for you receive it by faith thank you lord thank you okay let's sit down Thank you, Lord. I don't want to cut across anything, but there's time at the end. If with any of these things uh, you wish to respond more to the Lord, that would be great. Thirdly, third benefit, because of what Christ has done, is a future hope, His glory. Verse two says, "Through Him we have also rejoined, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand." <laughs> And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Glory, it's quite a sort of a Bible sort of word, really, means something like the fullness or the weight or the magnificence of God's presence. Or it can mean that. The you can't miss itness of God. That's his glory. You can't help but notice and respond in some wayness of God. That's what God's glory means. Sorry if I've just invented some new words for the English language there. And our hope, and it says our hope in the glory of God, hope is always, can have present reality and future focus. Can mean a couple of things here. It could mean we will see God in all his glory, while standing in his presence at the end of all things. That's what it could mean to hope in the glory of God. But it could also mean we are sharers in God's glory. We'll be made like him to be glory carriers. And actually, other parts of scripture teach both. That we have a hope that one day we will see God in all his glory. But tied up with that is that we will be transformed into his glory. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. And we all with unveiled face beholding, that is seeing, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now there's an opportunity here to understand again that day by day, as we follow Christ, as we respond to the Holy Spirit, we are being made and made more like Him. But that's not my focus here. My focus is actually um, hope is something we all have to live by. Um, There was a songwriter in the 80s called Elvis Costello, some of you may have heard of him and I remember reading an interview with him where um, the interviewer asked him and I can't remember what the context was what's the worst thing that could ever happen and he said well the worst thing is probably to kill someone but other than that, it's to take away their hope and the job for us as songwriters is to help people to believe that there's more to life That life is better. I remember seeing recently a banner held up at a concert. um, And the banner said, thank you to the artist who was singing. I went to who it was. Thank you for making life better. You see, hope is something we have to live by. If you kill hope, it's almost like killing the person. And our hope is one of the things that gives us life in the here and now. This man here um, is Thomas Binney. He's one of my ancestors on my father's side. And he was uh, a nonconformist, a Congregationalist preacher in mid Victorian London. He was also a great social reformer. He was an abolitionist. And he was one of the most popular preachers in London in his day. You can read his biography. And he stirred things up. He wrote hymns. He fought tirelessly. He was a member of the anti slavery movement. Um, but last year with my father I went to visit his grave and he's buried in Abney Cemetery in Stoke Newington in London and that's his uh, memorial and he's buried almost next to William Booth um, and other social reformers from the 19th century but on his gravestone it says this this is a quote from Psalm 17 verse 15 as for me I will behold your face look on your glory in righteousness when I awake I will be satisfied with your likeness great old testament hope future hope new testament and old future glory in Christ not only seeing him in his glory but being made like him So whatever's going on this week, there might be times this week where it's helpful to remember we have an eternal hope that we will finally see God face to face. Whatever goes on this week, a lot of it, if there's any strife, is shaping you and me to be more like him. Forever I'm changed, I'll see you face to face. That's our hope. fourth thing in this passage, fourth benefit, the fourth thing that follows from the therefore is this, a present hope, not just a future one, a present hope that hardship can work for our good. That hardship can work for our good. We rejoice in our sufferings. More than that, there's more. We rejoice in our sufferings, in verse 3, Paul says, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Now, nobody enjoys a hard time. The suffering Paul talks about here, sometimes in older versions you might see it, called affliction or tribulation. But it's essentially circumstances that come about that you don't have any control over. Actually, even though we're followers of the living God, the maker of heaven and earth, we don't have control over our circumstances some of the time. Things happen. And we don't always know why. Paul doesn't explain here why they happen. He just identifies with the fact that they do. And that believers will face Troubling times, as Jesus promised. The recipients of this letter in Rome were experiencing, and almost certainly were about to experience even more, the letter was probably written about the time just after Nero reigned as emperor, just as he started to. Now, the cause of rejoicing here, Paul says, is not because of the hardships. It's because of what they work in us. Paul describes a process where we are changed in character. We become the real deal. We become strong and tested followers of Jesus through what we endure. And this produces hope. It's tempting to think actually if stuff happens. Life gets hard for whatever reason that God's abandoned us. Actually, in the New Testament, adversity was pretty much taken as a sign that God was on people's case and that God was around, making believers more like Jesus. Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings. Oh, I want the power. I'm not sure I want the participation. But the two somehow go hand in hand. Endure hardship as a discipline. The writer to Hebrews says, God's treating you like children. Not God has abandoned you. God is treating you like a child. Lots more to say about that. But I love this quote from Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny our hope in our sufferings and whatever they are and globally of course in this culture our sufferings are not great compared to many but the reality is there's stuff that perplexes us there's stuff we find difficult there's stuff we find painful and there's stuff like that that we don't necessarily have control over but our hope is what it's doing to us. What God is allowing to fashion and work in us through it. Let's just stop and think for a second. Maybe shut our eyes. Um, I want to just pray while we stop and think that if you're finding some things hard that the grace of God would come not only to relieve that but to work in you all that he intends to produce in us character endurance and strong hope praise god that he is the god that heals and takes away pain believe that and part of the grace of god in suffering is to see him do that but part of it also at times is for him to work in us Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a God of grace and favor. I want to pray right now for anyone in here who's going through difficulty of whatever sort. Financial, physical, emotional, circumstantial, opposition, reputation being slandered, whatever it is. Father, I pray your grace would come by your spirit to work in us all that you intend. To produce in us the fruit of character and endurance. To make us more like Jesus. Would you come now, Holy Spirit, and work in us. Give us grace, Father, where there's genuine difficulty. Break through, living God, where there's genuine difficulty to turn situations around that couldn't otherwise be turned around. Father, we pray for Max right now in hospital. Grace of God, would you come to him and turn around the situation? Would you come to him in healing power? But more than that, would you come to him that he would know that you are working? In him. For him to be more like Jesus. Pray your grace on him. And others as well, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Finally then. There's a promise for present experience. And it's in verse 5. One of my favorite verses in the whole of scripture. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Doesn't disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Lest hope in suffering seems hard, by way of comfort, Paul finishes off this bit by saying, our hope isn't in vain, because it's not just a hope for a better future, but it's a hope for a better present as well. We are loved by God. Paul has explained in the following verses, that's demonstrated for us in Christ and what he has done. It's objectively true, but objective truth doesn't touch the heart necessarily. So God has demonstrated his love to us, but Paul's saying here, by the Holy Spirit, we can feel it, experience, and be full of it. It's really important we hold those two things together. God loved us. How do we know Jesus Christ has died for us? God loved us. How do we know? Because I receive his love. I feel it in my heart. And I can be filled with the knowledge of the love of God. It can be experienced by the Holy Spirit. Pouring implies abundance. And there's a time when abundance comes, like a few of us might have experienced a few days last week, standing outside your tent, so the best thing to do is just open your hands and receive it. And I love this picture because there's something lovely about innocence in the pouring rain. There's a time in the pouring rain, try to remember the last time you did this, rather than try and hide from it, you just went out and enjoyed it. Sometimes you have to be in a warmer country than this one to do that. Um, India is better, but there you go. Pouring implies God's abundance. The heart is the center of our being, and God wants to pour abundantly his love by the Holy Spirit into our minds, into our motivations, into our intentions. That is the receptacle of God's love. It's normal for the Holy Spirit to be living and active in the lives of our believers. And I want to finish this morning just by giving an opportunity for us to ask God fill our hearts with his love by the Holy Spirit. And of course love is strong. It's not just a feeling. Love is a motivation. The love of God put into us by the Holy Spirit will make us do things we might not otherwise do, will stop us doing things we might otherwise have done, will cause us to say things that we wouldn't otherwise have said and to refrain from saying things we would have otherwise said. The love of God His enabling, his empowering, always outworks. But we can experience and know the love of God now. So, band, if you'd like to come up again, sorry, get you up and down, up and down, I'm simply going to pray that God would pour out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And you can stand, and you can sit, you can kneel, you can open up your arms, like the little girl on the picture there. But we'll do that. And then maybe we'll worship again as a response for these benefits, these therefores, because Jesus has died for us that we can receive. There's opportunity to respond further to how you might have responded this morning, to knowing God's peace, to accessing His grace, to having a future hope, to finding grace in hardship and to receive his love. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we declare your word to be true. That you don't put us to shame. That what we hope for won't disappoint us. Because your love has been in the past, is now, and will continue to be poured into our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Because you have given him to us for us to live the life. Now Holy Spirit please would you come and pour yourself into our hearts, into the centre of our being this morning. Lord I pray for those who don't have any perception of your love pray you pour your love into their hearts they might know that they are loved by the living God Lord I pray for those of us who our love for you has run cold Holy Spirit, would you pour into our hearts to warm our hearts with your affection, to warm our hearts with your gracious love that we might love you as you deserve. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come among us now and be poured out into our hearts and put in our hearts the love of God available to us in Christ.